Welcome to the PC Perspective Podcast. This is episode 533, being recorded on February 20, 2019. I am Sebastian Peak. I'm Jeremy Hallstrom. I'm Josh Walworth. I'm Maury Tattleman. And I'm Jim Tannis. Jim Tannis is the Andy Rooney of the 60 Minutes group. Don't you hate it when you sit down for a long time and dust starts settling on you? I hate that. I have no response. <laughs> Josh, uh, thank you for that. Hey, we have we have some news for you guys this week and reviews. And uh, in case you don't know how you got here, this is the official podcast of PC Perspective, which we do every week. And uh, most of the time we do it live. We've had a rocky month or so, but we're back to doing it live on a semi-regular basis at 10 p.m. on Wednesdays, 10 p.m. Eastern time on Wednesdays. And uh, to find out when we go live, you can subscribe to what we affectionately call our spam list. We make we make this promise that we will only send you an email when we're about to go live, whether it's for the podcast or a special event. And we've been pretty consistent with that. I think I'm a subscriber myself and I've never gotten any actual spam. So don't worry. Uh, but let's get right to it. Cause we have a lot of news and some reviews to get to this week, starting with you, Jim, who rec- you did a, re- a review of the Synology DS one zero one nine plus. I did. And uh apologize, I'm having already having trouble switching and thinking. Uh, but yes, yeah, so I reviewed a new Synology NAS. Synology releases their products uh, twice a year, in the early part of the year and then in the fall. So last year, I think it was last fall, they released a device called the DS918+. And it was a nice little NAS. It had a Celeron processor, quad-core, that could do hardware transcoding for video. Uh, it had NVMe, like dedicated NVMe slots for caching. And uh, it was four bays. And so a lot of people felt constrained by those four bays. So now, this month, they've released this. Uh, this is a pretty much identical variant on the 918 plus but with five bays same number of uh, or same processor same board same uh, ram capacities although this ships with eight that's the difference the 918 plus shipped with four so you're going to get eight out of the gate with this it's got two nvme uh caching slots same basic design too it's, it's almost identical here if you can see uh, if you're watching the video feed got the 1019 plus here this is the ds 1019 plus and the 918 here so very 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 much similar so that kind of takes a little bit of the excitement out of this one out of this release because we've seen all this before but we didn't review this one in particular or the 918 plus i should say so it's, it is new to us is that what network was that nbc if i haven't seen it it's new to me but uh it's a uh a nice mid-range NAS, but it's got some interesting limitations. So it's only gigabit. There's, uh, if I can find the picture here, it's only got two one gigabit ports on the back. So 
no 10 gig expansion, no built-in 10 gig, no PCIe slot so you can expand it. So you're gonna be limited to one gigabit, or if you use the link aggregation, you can get two, but you've gotta have support for 802, I think it's 802.3 AD is the protocol. And you gotta have support for that in your switch as well. And not a lot of switches have that, especially the switches that people who'd be buying this would probably have. So if you can't do link aggregation, you can do, you can still use both ports for uh, load balancing or failover, but it's for a device constrained by gigabit networking, it's fast, it's quiet, it's running Synology's Disk Station Manager software, which in my opinion is still the best out there. It's very easy to install apps, very easy to get your storage set up, set up backups, set up snapshots, snapshots uh, to protect your data. And the interesting thing is, if you see the pictures here, you've got these two M.2 slots on the bottom, and these are NVMe M.2, because M.2 can be SATA or NVMe, and it's using NVMe, so that's the higher performance, higher cost drives, and there's not a lot you can use in this form factor with this CPU to take advantage of that. Now, if this was a beefy, you know, enterprise-grade NAS with a Xeon processor, you know, something just beefier, you could be running database servers, you could be running VMs, and you could really take advantage of that performance from the NVMEs. But with the Celeron, I mean, you can do a little bit, a little bit but I just don't see how many people are, or how many small businesses are going to be able to take advantage of that, are going to find value in doing it, you know, with, with having that fast storage, that fast cache, but being limited by the network connection and the processor. So if you kind of ignore that, I mean, you could use them. Most home workloads aren't going to see a benefit, but so assuming you ignore that and you look at it just as a nice little NAS, the big key from the previous Synology models is the hardware transcoding because these are great for Plex. And even if you're not using Plex, you can use Synology's own uh, software, uh, which does video transcoding. Uh, I think it's called Video Station. So we benchmarked that and using Plex, it can do five 1080p transcodes simultaneously from an untouched Blu-ray MKV rip. So it's compressed, but it's compressed as it was on the original disc. So from that full 30 to 50 megabit source file down to eight megabits, you can do five simultaneous transcodes. And that's pretty good. That's going to cover a lot of users. Looking at it just on a software transcode, I can do just two before it really chokes. But there's an additional benefit to having the hardware transcoder is not only do you get more, but it doesn't tax your processor. So if you see this uh, image here on the site, with those five transcodes going, your CPU is only at 50%. So if somebody else is accessing the NAS to do you know, data storage or backups or whatever, you're not gonna be causing an issue there. So like I said, it's not a very exciting thing. We've seen this before. This is pretty much identical specs. It's nice to get the eight gigs of RAM out of the gate. I will note that Synology says that eight gigs is the max. So it ships with eight, which is two by four, their DDR3. But some users have reported that 16 is the unofficial limit. So if you did want to go to 16, you could do that. It's $649.99 without drives. And that's $100 more than the 918 plus. However, if you're a power user, if you have any experience with faster than gigabit networking, look at the 1618 plus, which is what we reviewed last fall. It's 749, but it's six bays and it has a PCIe slot. So you can add a 10 gig NIC, which is what we did in our testing. You get less RAM 
out of the gate, it's four gigs that it ships with, but it goes to a max of 32 and the processor doesn't support hardware enhanced coding. So again, if you're buying this solely for Plex, the 1019 might be a better buy. But in terms of overall flexibility, room to grow, performance uh, with greater than gigabit networking, it's a tough call. I mean, I, I would personally go with the 1618 plus, but you know, there's options there. And I note too, you know, QNAP is probably Synology's biggest competitor in the pre-built, you know, turnkey NAS market. And they they were behind for a while, but they've been very aggressive in recent years. They have models all across the price range with built-in 10 gig or, you know, even multiple 10 gig ports or built-in caching with NVMe or just dedicated like MSATA uh, ports. And their software is getting better. The QNAP manager, I still prefer disk manager, a Synology's disk, disk station manager, but the QNAP software is getting better. So QNAP is really hot on Synology's heels here. I don't have any issues with reliability with either company. Uh, so if you're not impressed by the specs here, take a look at QNAP and maybe even wait, because I think that QNAP's product launches this year is going to force Synology to make some more aggressive changes uh, in their next refresh. So that's the uh, the DS1019 Plus, $650, well, good performing, but limited, because you do kind of get stuck with that uh, gigabit interface. Come on, man, 8-bay or bust. You well, gotta you gotta spend that thirteen hundred bucks. Sure, but you can always you can expand. There's uh, they offer expansion modules for all their products. So, sure, interesting. Even the the smaller ones like the four bay, you can get an expansion for that. Well, the the nine eighteen plus, yes, it's eSATA based expansion. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Anybody have any more thoughts about the NAS? You know, I've, I've been working with Synology stuff for quite a while. Um, and this is in the, the, the enterprise area. And we had the, you know, 8-bay stuff. And for the amount of things you can do with these, it's kind of impressive. I mean, you go in there, uh, they've got three or four dozen apps that you can install and do multiple things, uh, hyperfault, backup. Um, we're using it with Backblaze. And the amount of stuff that you can do with these is is really impressive. And so it's, you know, they, they've been solid products for us for what we've been using them for. And I'm, I'm sure Jim has gone over these things in detail and ad nauseum. But, uh, yeah, the overall experience with Synology is is really, really positive. It's good stuff for, for the price that you pay. And what you can actually get for free once you dig in, get into the apps, and start, you know, getting the things that you need to do with it. Yeah, the uh, app platforms, and it's the same on QNAP as well, are awesome. It's one-click installs. They have a range of apps, everything from consumer-level stuff to enterprise stuff. Uh, Docker, you can run your uh, import Dockers with, like, two clicks. Um, backups to Backblaze or Amazon. Um, back Backup to a network volume on your network just to have it going to another, another NAS or just a shared network folder. Uh, you can run a WordPress. If you want to spin up a website real quick to test something, it's, it can be a WordPress server, dozens, if not hundreds of apps. And there's even third-party app stores you can, you can install or repositories you can access. Uh, so tons of stuff, uh, including Plex. That's how you can set up Plex. It's one click and you're done. So 
from a software side, Synology and QNAP are great. Okay, uh, let's move to Maury. Maury, we have not seen you on the podcast in a long time. How are you doing? Good, good. It's been a Maury, long, you, 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 know. you look well, and you look employed. And I look very rested, <laughs> too, probably. Yes. You know, a three-month like three uh, vacation will uh, do that for you. Maury, I was on a three-year vacation at home. How does that make you feel? Yeah, but you didn't. But but see, the difference is you didn't get paid for it, though. I'm still I'm still technically, I'm not an employee of Thompson Reuters anymore. But they're still paying me till all, uh, April, so or middle That's April. Awful. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's just it's work crap. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, so hey, you did you did a couple of reviews actually. You had two different water blocks uh that you've reviewed. I have not gotten the other one up on the site yet, but the Aqua Computer Cryos uh water block you did uh finish and I did post that. You yes, the Aqua through. Computer uh Complex Cryos. Aqua Computer is a German-based company. Um so, you know, some of the page links you may have to do some translation on if you bring them up. Uh, but it's a very well-known, very well-respected uh, water cooling company. Their latest block is this Kuplex Cryos Next. Uh, their previous generated, their naming isn't great. I mean, their previous generation was Kuplex Cryos. Um, but the biggest change they made with this was the with the uh, the total um, amount of uh, configurable models they have out with it. Uh, they have. They also include something called Vision with it. That's an actual microprocessor-driven module that that actually sits on the water block itself and will uh, it will um, measure flow rate as well as temperature of the block and the coolant going through it. Um, the the version I tested was did not have it. Uh, this was actually a a block that I I bought off of a retail site. This wasn't actually a a, a review sample that that we got from. Our, Aqua computer. Um, but the model I got was uh, basically just, it's a small copper construction. It's a, It's got a jet impingement plate uh, on it. The The cool thing with, with their design was that the jet impingement plate, unlike a lot of other companies that use jet impingement technology, their jet impingement uh, chamber is actually, uh, is actually embedded in the top part of the water block itself. It makes uh, taking it apart and putting it together really easy. Uh, However, they do use hex head screws on that, which, you know, you have to get a star driver to get them out uh, instead of using a uh, Phillips head, which you know would be nice. But they are a German company, so they tend to do strange things in Europe sometimes. Um, <clears throat> it's an all copper construction. It's nickel plated, which is nice. Um, it uses micro channel design, um, you know, so you do get a little flow restriction through it. But you get uh, very good cooling. This is actually, uh, as far as um, as far as performance goes, this is probably one of the highest performing blocks I've tested. Uh, the only, probably performance wise, uh, the only block to perform better than this one was the uh, was it the Coolant's uh, uh, CPU three ninety block. Um, as far as this mounting. Uh, mounting cage goes for uh, for the LGA 11 uh, 5X. It's got the uh, back plate with a uh, rubber grommet, as you can see in the picture. Um, and then it has the mounting poles that go through the board. 
and it's got thumb screws and uh, springs that hold the block in place. Uh, that 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 mounting bracket is both for the uh, 11 uh, 5x and the uh, AMD. What is it? The um, the AM3 socket for AMD's. The AM4 socket, which is a Ryzen Ryzen 2, and the LGA uh, uh, 2011 sockets. Those don't have a backplate or mounting poles. The thumb screws simply uh, screw into the existing uh, mounting brackets on the board itself. Uh, that kind of makes sometimes, I mean, it can make uh, installation a little bit tricky because you have to physically hold the block while you're tightening the uh, screws down, but it's it's not too bad, really, um, especially since you're not dealing with naked dies like back in the day. But it's a very well-constructed block. Uh, you know, as I said, it performed very well. It's all copper. It comes with, you know, it has a variety of, um, of uh, configurations. You can get acrylic top. You can get uh, you can get the top with and without the vision module in it. They actually sell a, a super high end version that's uh, silver. It's a, a copper top with uh, a silver base. That's that one though is like two hundred dollars or something because silver is ungodly expensive. Uh, well, at least when you go uh, water corn. But here you can see, you can actually see the microchannel design. Um, they use, I think it's a uh, 20, it's very finely, you know, the microchannels are very fi- uh, finely uh, thin, uh, finned. Um, the, along the outside of that, you can actually see the collection chamber. Basically, jet impingement plate will uh, forces it into that center line right there, and the water goes, the, the coolant then goes to the side and collects. The uh, uh, collection is actually on the opposite side of the next logo that's uh, embedded in the, in the block itself. So, um, you know, it, it, it uh, it's a very, very nice design. It works very well. Uh, yeah, that's really, and, uh, well, and the other thing, the other nice thing comes with thermal grizzly, which is uh very high end um, thermal, uh, Thermal paste. I, I for the testing, I used um, we used the um, just some uh, was it? it's the uh, God, I don't remember what the name of that stuff is, but it's um, just some. It's it's not high end paste at all, but paste really, you know, you buys you maybe a couple degrees. We used the uh, MG Chemicals H uh, sixty paste for testing. But as you can see, uh, that that's the stock temp. Stock temps you really aren't going to see much uh, variance there. Um, yeah. With this review, we only did Ryzen two testing. Um, the uh, the reason for that was that as I was doing the Ryzen two uh, block testing, the Ryzen two temperatures overclocked were excessively high. I mean, they were approaching you know anywhere from ninety to one hundred degrees. Um, <clears throat> the amount of blocks. Some of you may ask, why aren't there more blocks here? Uh, the blocks that I tested. I tried testing all the latest generation blocks that I had. The blocks that are, are shown in the review and in the performance graphs are the only ones that actually passed when it was overclocked for Horizon 2. Um, so you should see, uh, you know, th- this should give you a really good um, estimate of, of how it will perform on a um, uh, 2011 board or on a uh, an 11 uh, 5X board as well. Uh, you know, on 11.5X in 2011, it's going to probably be a little bit cooler than on Horizon 2. So, uh, 
But as is, you can see here, yeah, yes. Is, is the 2700X one of the Ryzen's that has the temperature offset, or is that just the 2700? I don't remember. Uh, well, so so the way that the Ryzen 2, the temperature uh, sensor in it, it's got two temperature sensors. One is... Uh, one has one is an offset, and then uh, one reads true temperature. Um, at least the way it's shown in uh, in core temp and in uh, ADA. Uh, okay. So you can, um, or not? Sorry, not ADA in um, in hardware info sixty four. Um, but you know, as long as it, it usually the uh, package temp, I think is. The temperature that it reports by default is, I think, 10 to 20 degrees C higher than the actual temp. So you have to be really careful when you're when you're monitoring the temps there. But um, you know the uh, the temps shown in reviewer offsets. Those are uh, you know based on a you know 20 to or I think it was I think my room was somewhere between 23 and 27 degrees C. So you can see that the you know the temps are still in the 90s uh, for the uh, for the max temps. Uh, but yeah, as far as the uh, performance goes though, you can see the coolants is, is the, uh, is the top was, was the top form block, but the actual computer was right on its heels. Um, the XSPC Racer pro is one of the uh, most popular blocks that performs well also, but not as well as the aqua computer. Um, so uh, it's just it's just differences, you know, slight differences in design. Um, uh, Sebastian mentioned SwiftTech Apogee. You can see that kind of fell behind. That does that is one of the only ones in this lineup that does not use a jet impingement plate. That one is just uh, a straight um, microchannel grid design. So you have the coolant coming in, you have the coolant going out, and it flows to the microchannels. There's no uh, with the jet impingement plate. You basically have a, uh, a channel. The water is forced through in the center to speed it up, and then it goes through the micro channels, channels either way and collects uh, in the rest of the block. So that's that's why the jet impingement plates are just tend to be a little bit more optimized for um, targeted heat loads, like you have on CPUs. So, but uh, the only downside of this block is it's very expensive. I mean, it, even yeah, the even the configuration I got that's uh, about a hundred dollar block. Um, but it is worth it. I mean, if, if you're going to do water cooling, you know, it's, um, it, it, you know, you, you, if you, the more money you spend, the better performance you're going to get, especially if you're going to do overclocking. Um, you know, some of the weaknesses I, I mentioned, difficult switching out block mounting brackets. The mounting brackets are actually embedded in channels in the top. Most people aren't going to change out the mounting brackets. That's why I didn't really ding it much on that. Um, it's just something I mentioned um, the other thing that was odd with it was that, um, you cannot get replacement tops for it. Like if, like in my case, you buy the old copper block without division, say I want to get the vision module, I'd have to buy a whole nother block. I can't just get a top that has the vision module embedded in it. Um, that's a, just a weakness, uh, in the, uh, supply chain of our computer. It's not, because a lot of other companies will offer just replacement tops. Uh, Aqua Peter just at this point is choosing not to. So okay. I mean, yeah, it's expensive, but hey, it's the thing that's actually making contact with your CPU. So I don't know that GPU blocks can get really pricey. All right. Well, thank you, Maury. Um, we will move into some of our massive list of news for this week with a massive 
bunch of uh, Computex rumors. Uh, this is something that actually Tim posted on the site. Uh, Jeremy, is this something that you have uh, investigated? I know that we've heard a lot about Ryzen, like the timing of Ryzen's release. Obviously, we've already been told it's mid-2019. At least that was like the slides. I know that Anantech had those slides back at CES. But what are they saying? What are these sources saying about an actual release date? Well, I mean, we're hoping for July the 7th because there's seven nanometer processors, right? So that makes sense. Seven, seven. seven. Yeah. Mm. Clever, huh? Mm. Almost artistic, as they're calling it Matisse. (laughs) Why would they give up a Uh, month if if it could be done at Computex? I don't, I don't know. It. I don't. I smell a skunk. Maybe somebody just stepped on a stink bug. But go ahead, Jeremy. Well, uh, now that I'm thinking about stink bugs for some reason, we do get a bit of information. Uh, we do know that we're going to see a brand new chipset, uh, the 500 series, but we're also told that don't worry an update to the 300 or 400 that you have now will work with these processors after a quick bios flash which is traditionally true for amd they don't tend to make you buy a new motherboard every generation that they put out there'll be uh, a ryzen 3 3300 uh, a ryzen 5 that we know about and one flagship ryzen 9 now the 9 is kind of interesting the 3850x is going to have 16 cores and 32 threads. And the base clock is going to be 4.3 gigahertz, but it boosts up to 5.1. We don't know if that's across all cores simultaneously or not, but regardless, that's beyond 5 gigahertz, which is really, really nice, especially if you're looking at multi-threaded tasks, which AMD is much stronger at, without even seeing what this new core can do. As far as the, the lower ones, no, we've... There's going to be a lot of 12 core uh, choices that are going to bounce around 3.8 to 4.6 up to one that's about 4.2 to 5. The Ryzen 5s are going to be a little bit slimmed down. Uh, So you're going to see eight cores and 16 threads. Again, not like Intel's choosing to single thread some of their lower cross processors. And the Ryzen 3 3300, uh, which has six cores. So you're looking at a processor that's going to be just a hair over a hundred bucks. Probably it's going to offer you six cores. It's just absolutely beautiful. Now, along with these comes new APUs. So we know for sure about a 3600 G and a 3300 G. So it's going to have our first glance at Navi. So it's going to have Navi 12 integrated graphics, which is going to be kind of interesting to see how it can stack up with what's on the market right now. Cause we've, we've sort of got an off balance on the GPU side where we've got ones that are ridiculously expensive and good performing to the ones that are just sort of, yeah, I got a two year old, a two generational GPU and I'm not really thinking about upgrading. So it's going to be interesting to see how this fits in. It's, it's just, you know, as long as these do come out when we're hoping, is it's going to be really, really nice. And of course, along with this, we are also hoping that uh, we're going to see a bit of news about full on Navi. So it's, you're going to have to wait. And as Josh says, this, this is weird. Like this is a long wait 
but it's it's coming. And well, what yeah, other stuff did you pick out? It's it is coming. I mean, maybe seven seven will be. They'll talk about Navi and be delivering it two or three months from then. I I don't think that Navi is is on schedule. I think it's a little no. bit later than they want it to be. Um, I think that uh, the CPU guys are probably raring at the bit to get that out, and so it wouldn't shock me if we saw you know the three thousand series Ryzen at Computex and some of the first kind of motherboard designs, maybe not with uh, you know the chipsets that you want with it, namely the what X five seventy. Yeah, it's going to be the new top end. Um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's weird. It's weird timing because they really want to have seven nanometer Epic and they want seven nanometer Ryzen out as mm-hmm. soon as possible because Intel's not sleeping. They're not, you know, ignoring them. They're working hard to get their new products out at every month that AMD is behind and not pushing product. If it's ready, is is bad news for them because they've I mean we can go into hours of talk about the yeah. issues with Intel and their 10 nanometer and their design and what they've been doing kind of behind the scenes and and leadership and all this other stuff. I mean it's 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 kind of a shit show. Yeah. Sorry for my language, uh, but it, my, it's uh I was going to say my bet is Navi October, like Halloween at the earliest. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe, like, maybe September. Yeah, October. But yeah, you know, there. I think, I think the AMD is focusing on their CPUs because that's where they've got good margin. They can sell a lot of stuff. Potentially, the market is larger there. If they can get out mobile, you know, desktop with integrated graphics and high end desktop, and now with Threadripper, I mean, workstation and up above that with Epic Server, I mean, they want to be able to hit these price points, the margins, the performance, being able to get into these areas. And then I think their focus will eventually get back to GPUs. But right now, CPUs is where they feel they have the best chance of, mm-hmm. of making some serious money. And then we'll go into this later <clears throat> with the podcast versus you know, what AMD made in a quarter versus what NVIDIA made. I mean, you, you just look at uh, AMD's products on, on the GPU side. And sure, Polaris is, is solid. It's a good product for the price. Um, Vega 7, that's pretty expensive for what you get in terms of, of power and performance. And you can't really pick one up. So... You know, we can kind of see they're really not focusing on GPUs as hard as they are on CPUs. And I think that they're going to push CPUs, at least at Computex, much harder. So maybe Navi will be announced 7.7 and they'll have some kind of bells and whistles around there with the entire, you know, spectrum and uh, and platform. But I, you know, maybe I'm wrong. I've been wrong before. But I think Computex is, is going to be where AMD releases the big guns in terms of CPU, especially in Epic. And I really hope they do it while Intel still having uh, issues providing chips to, to businesses. And consumer side, yeah, you don't worry about it. They'll 
cope in various ways. But for a business side, they're making a major purchase that's not going to last. That's going to last them three years, or if you're working a company like me, ten or fifteen. And so, if AMD can actually hit Epic coming out at the same time that Intel is having difficulty providing CPUs to Dell and to various other uh, enterprise providers, it's going to be really, really good for the bottom line coming the first quarter of next year. If Intel gets ahead of them and this is delayed a little bit and we're not actually seeing product going until the end of the year, they've missed a huge opportunity. Yeah, I know. Well, you know, it's uh, anecdotal evidence. Uh, Also true. You know, the Dell... Dell is, is telling their customers, you know, if you don't want to wait for these Intel parts, which have a significant delay from when you order them to when you actually get them, you should really think about Epic. It's a pretty good product and it's, you know, affordable and you can get it now. And there will be some people, not a huge amount, but there will be some who will change their mind because they have mission critical systems they need to implement, upgrade or or put in for the first time and they'll go for Epic because they've got some VMware compatibility. They've, they've got what looks to be a solid platform and it's less expensive. It's got a lot of cores and it still performs pretty well. May not be Intel, but HP, Dell and others, they're, they're starting to push AMD because they simply cannot sell parts that they can't get from Intel. Because there's a backlog in Xeon. Well, speaking of Intel, and I, I don't really have anything to add to that. I mean, I've been staring at this image in the news posts of this CPU. Mm, chiplet. More chiplets. There's a space just perfect for another chiplet right there on the right bottom right corner. Anyhow, uh, Intel, not to be outdone in the rumors department, uh, some... European retailers apparently have hosted some new Pentium chips, uh, Pentium and Celeron. The front runner, of course, being the Pentium Gold. I'd forgotten about this branding. G5620. I don't know if any of you saw this uh, news. I think it was yesterday or this morning that uh, like Tom's Hardware was reporting it. Anon Tech had it yesterday. Basically, this is the first, the four gigahertz chip with the pentium name which you know for a dual core four thread part four gigahertz is it can only be a good thing i would love to see what the pricing on this is going to be though better not be the same as xeon goals yeah (laughs) yeah i mean mean, that's the second i saw this i'm like why are you cross-branding with xeon this makes no sense i have questions about the branding of a lot of things we could talk about uh my theories about nvidia branding of the (sighs) RTX cards, et cetera. But anyhow, uh, I, it was funny because when I was writing this post this morning, I was like, how much was the first Pentium when it came out? And I found, I think, an LA Times archived newspaper article from 1993 in December. They were like, 20 or 1994 is going to be a great year for PC hardware. They're talking about all these like price drops where the Pentium was only going to be 700 and something dollars. It launched. At $878 for the 60 megahertz Pentium in 1993. And it had issues. Yeah, it wasn't it floating <laughs> floating point was like F div bug. Yes, F-div, that was baby. <sighs> and it ran so, hot. 60 megahertz, even though it was 
fast as compared um, to previous generation, like DX266, you know, it wasn't as fast as the DX280 and the DX4, 100, 120, 133s um, that they called them um, from like AMD, their 486. But yeah, they ran hot, they were expensive, and they had FDIV issues. You mean this DX4? This 100 Do you, do you have one? DX4? Yeah, it's in my hand. Look, oh. look at the camera. Oh, that's an Intel one. It's not the AMD. No, it's not the AMD. I wish I had the AMD. Rolled, the AMD. Yeah, it does. The AMD chips, from my understanding, is uh, even at the same clocks or advertised clocks, they were faster. At least looking at old they were a little bit faster. Yeah, um, especially with like uh, the DX40 was kind of their their high point because the uh, the memory bus and and the front side bus were all a little bit higher. Um, with the DX40 as compared to the DX33. And it performed very, very close to the DX266 because of all the other system kind of issues. And so the DX40 for AMD was was really the sweet spot. And then they doubled it to the DX80, and it was it was really fast. It was it was a good processor for the time. DX240, DX280. Sorry. How fast did the P- Pentium fours get the single core Pentium fours in like two thousand? three or four right before they went to the core architecture because weren't they in the high threes and i thought they hit north, four northwood went to the 3.2 and 3.4 gigahertz and i think that was still singer core and then the uh, prescott went up to three four three six and then it it just kind of petered out and it wasn't till like Tulatin. Was it Tulatin? Or no, Penrin? I can't remember. There's too many code code names in there. Remember. I'm not sure. No, nah, I think Penrin was Core, core two. 2, right? Yeah. Was Penrin, it Core 2? Tulatin was like Pentium 3. Yep. Yeah, Tulatin, Pentium 3. But yeah, no, it was uh, Netburst. I think it was 3.6 to 3.8. Yeah, I remember. I just remember the AMD uh presentations about in millions of instructions per second and look we, we do so much better per clock than intel can think of doing yeah well what about uh, okay yeah i already talked about two lot so anyway. <laughs> which was the one that okay there was at least there was the one pentium three core that was simultaneously on slot one and socket 370 right nothing now, okay, I'm sorry. I, I was reading things and trying to figure stuff out, which, of course, didn't <laughs> I want to know what the fast well Pentium 4 was. I think it was 3.8 gigahertz. It was a Prescott 3.8. Okay. Oh, Prescott. More like press. There you go. Press hot. Yeah. Hey, speaking of uh, living dangerously, Jeremy, you posted something that I was... Uh, I was a little alarmed by it. It's like anytime I see anything about a BIOS flash that unlock things on GPUs, not only do I think of your uh, AMD Radeon 6000 series, right? Wasn't it the 6950 you unlocked? Uh, was it the 7950 that I made into a 7970? Oh. Yeah. It lived for two years almost. 
I remember unlocking. I didn't unlock. I flashed the BIOS on my Radeon fifty eight seventy to whatever brand had the unlocked. Because I had a stock one, like this AM ATI branded one. But I I put a different BIOS on it, and then I overclocked it to one gigahertz and ran it. And just ran the hell out of it for like a year. But on anyway. that particular model, I had had dual BIOS, so you could actually get it back. It was a physical switch. So I wasn't yeah. as nervous you, as you guys, I could have been. Do you guys remember uh, having to use a graphite pencil to unlock <laughs> the AMD old AMD CPUs back when they were oh, yeah. naked dies? Oh yeah, that was the day. Or you, or you actually sometimes you even had to uh, solder leads to the back of your motherboard. <laughs> yeah, I killed quite a few motherboards doing that. Oh, those were the days. But yeah, so if, you know, you don't mind the fact that you might kill your $1,000 plus card, there are a variety of ways to flash it, be it your uh, Founders Edition or just like, like sort of a plain old vanilla RTX. Uh, and they've got them for 2060s, 2070s, 2080s, and 2080Ti's. You can flash it to a factory overclocked card, which not so much the overclock as it is the power envelope. So some of these will open up the power envelope significantly higher than is designed for that card. This can be a bad thing, but you know, if it was well designed and you've got it nicely cooled in theory, you should be able to get a bit more out of it. It's certainly a a danger. And this is at the point where you're reading uh, the actual strings of it. So if you've got a TU 104, 400 a one, yeah, you can't. But if you got a TU-104-400A-A1, you can. A1, you can. Very, you really, really want to read through this before you even start thinking about it. Take a look at it because, unfortunately, it's, it's not easy to go back nowadays. But, hey, if, if you've just got a 2080 Ti or lying around and you don't want to ship it to me, go right ahead and do it. I'm also glad it gave you a chance to, like, Darkwing Duck. Yeah. But you'll take it, in other words. You'll take it if, oh, they, yeah. if they're not brave enough. Now, when you get it, will you do this? Will you unlock the BIOS? Or I flash can say that I did. Oh, okay. All right. I... You've got to take one for the team, Jeremy. All right, fine. Send me a card. I'll flash it. All right, perfect. And then what I'll flash it. Have... Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'll flash it. I, trust me, I will. I'll tell you I did. <laughs> It's like, wait a minute, isn't that the same screenshot from your news post, Jeremy? Come on. All right. Uh, Jeremy, uh, I know this is a, a topic that's near and dear to your heart. It's, it surely is. It's episode, back, baby. Is that episode Memex 518? Six. It is indeed. You're it's holding so that well mouse used. by its tail. Yeah, there isn't even any branding left on it, the poor thing. I've been using it for so long. But unfortunately, one of the switches went on it. and. I am not Alan, so I am not good at uh, doing tiny little replacements of solder. So it's sitting there, and maybe one day I will redo it. But now I don't have to because it's coming back. And it's coming back at a decent price. Because as soon as I saw this... Better than ever. Better than ever. It's stronger. It's more powerful. It's bionic. Or, I mean, if RGB... It's got an ARM 32-bit processor in it. Oh, yeah. It's kind of weird. Well, you mean you've got to be able to have the 18 profiles nowadays. And it's 60 bucks. 
Because I figure, oh, this is a classic. They are going to get people like me who are like, yeah, well, 140 bucks is a bit much, but it's honestly the best mouse I've ever used. And I mean, I picked up a 502 because uh, I had a Seal Series Sensei that just, it was too flat and the, the plastic just did not feel right. And this is a good mouse, but it's not the same. And so replacing my 518, and I mean, it's got a Hero 16K uh, sensor in it now. So like everything about it except the shell has been upgraded. The shell looks the exact same. The the more or less the weight, the feel of it is going to be the exact same. And it's just, you know, it's learned a few tricks over the years. So I'm I'm honestly more stoked about a mouse coming back than I probably should be. But it was my first long time in mouse. <laughs> oh god, yeah, yeah. Where, where's the RGB though? There's no RGB. Come there on. There is. So where on mine, where'd you go? <laughs> this bit that's worn out, that's now RGB. No, It'll have this is a laser light shining no. through it into your eyes. No, see, Jeremy, this is this is the mouse that you need right here. See, see that? Ah, that's RGB. Well, I mean, I'd have to turn it on, but this thing does the RGBs too. I have since disabled it because I. It does not help my mousing and it's underneath my palm. So I can't even see it when I'm using it for crying out loud. I have, I never had a 518. I have a, I still have my MX 500 and I love the shape and it's the same shape. So I will definitely have to pick one of these up too, yeah. especially because it has the updated sensor. Cause I, tr- I tr- actually tried the, there's nothing wrong with my 500 except for the fact that most of that soft touch plastic on the side of it is completely gone. But uh, the sensor is just so much slower than the ones I've gotten used to. And especially when you're on high resolution screens, like, oh my God, like moving, I have to move the mouse across my mouse pad, lift it, place it on the other side, move it again to get all the way across the screen sometimes. Like, okay. What are you playing, uh, freelancer? Just using high resolution screens for exciting things like uh, creating charts. Oh, reviews. yeah. Yeah. Uh, but we can all agree. Charge rock. That, what? I said charge rock. Charge oh I don't I don't get the reference. Especially when you're sorry. measuring latency and you've got oh, a chart oh. that has nineteen point <laughs> two milliseconds and then you've got a nineteen point one down here. Jim, could we get a visual on that somehow? Is that possible? Uh the best chart by. of the year. All right, stand excellent. By. Wait, oh. Give me one second. You guys here uh I'll switch to the multi-feed. You talk amongst your... Uh, yeah. Let, let us not ever say that uh, statistics lie or that charts can be misleading. I love... I don't know what oh, scale they were using. Yeah. Come on, Jim. You can do it. Like, should we even name the outlet? I guess we should not. you. Oh, no. We're, we're going to name this outlet. Okay. I'm going to their website because this is not the only chart on there. Whoa. Some kind of issue. Pop-ups. Jim, we talked about your browsing behavior. Let's see you're mocking our site. (laughs) Hang on. Uh, Where is it? This is unfortunately one of those sites I need an ad blocker for. It is chugging. Hmm. Oh, Tim okay, here we go. Okay. 
So this one's not so bad, but look at the scale on this GD effing <laughs> chart. Latency in nanoseconds, 19.2, 19.1. Oh, <laughs> wow, man. look at that. Look at those gains. 0.1 milliseconds. I just, I sat here when I saw this. I couldn't tell if this was some sort of intentional meta humor commentary. I just don't, you know, and even this one, there's actually a few you know, a few points of difference, but not to that scale. You got to set your minimum values in your charts, folks. Is it just me or does the gradient background they're using make it look like those are like convex? Like they're actually three-dimensional on the page. A little bit. It's just sleep deprivation. Yeah. What We're off the rails. I don't know what we're doing right now. We're looking at charts on, what was that website, Jim? I, I closed it. I don't remember oh. I it my memory. No one okay. needs to remember right. that. We don't, don't, yeah. We've saved them. Let's move on to, it's what we've all been waiting for. I know back in January, I thought to myself, you know, Valentine's Day is right around the corner and I don't have any gift ideas, but all I want from Josh is NVIDIA's Q4 and yearly fiscal year 2019 financial results. Which I think actually they had their call. We are in Q4 2019. It was, wasn't it Valentine's Day that they had their call? Or was it the 15th? Yeah, anyway, it was Josh. You know, 2018 was a bit of a mixed bag for NVIDIA. They'd grown their business quite a bit. I mean, it was significant. They had uh, reached, what, $3.1 billion a quarter at the highest but then a couple of bad things happened. One, blockchain died badly. And so that affected things. Uh, NVIDIA, not NVIDIA, but uh, in Nintendo Switch, it started out with a bang and then has slowed down pretty dramatically. Autos. They'd been slowly building and... Then it kind of took a small turn at the end of this year. So last quarter, they had, what, $3.1 billion, uh in revenue and some insane amount of, of, of net income, I think, in the $700 million range. It was, it, was, it was impressive. They had a great quarter. It was probably the most that they had ever had. Uh, Q, well, the latest, I think they call it Q4 2019. Because their whole reporting thing is a little strange uh, in how they they record it. Uh, they had two point two billion in revenue, and it dropped pretty dramatically from the previous quarter. And a lot of that was from well, it really multiple areas. Uh, automo automotive went down. They've had a whole lot more competition from AMD in terms of visualization and, uh, you know, kind of the higher-end computing. And their gaming went down, and we we kind of wonder why. And a lot of that may be, and they haven't actually talked about this much, the 
RTX series have not sold as much as as they were hoping. They thought this was, hey, this is the next generation of product. It's got a lot of extra features. We have a little bit extra performance versus the previous GTX 10 series at whatever area. But, boy, it was an interesting quarter. Their, their margins took a huge dive from almost, well, 60.4% to 54.7%. And that's pretty significant because the RTX 2000 series is a much larger die than the GTX 1000 series at, at kind of every step. And sure, as a consumer, you pay a little bit more for the features and a little bit more for the extra performance at each kind of step, but we didn't see the kind of jumps that we have seen in the past from the 700 to the 900 series, 900 to the 1000 series. And uh, I think a lot of people were expecting another big jump with the 2000, but we got something a little different. We got RTX, we got machine learning, DLSS, stuff like that, that takes up a lot of, of die space. So these dies have become much larger. They're more expensive to produce, even though that, you know, now they're on the 16 slash 12 nanometer process and it's, it's, it's a more mature foundation. So they don't pay as much per wafer as they did back in the day when, when 16 nanometer was initially uh, released. But yeah, they're, they're taking a small hit. Uh, they're still about double the, the revenue of AMD, which AMD is, is selling not only GPUs, but CPUs and not only CPUs, but, but, you know, high-end CPUs that uh, are are in uh, you know workstations and and servers and whatnot, and so the margins have improved for that company, but not to the point where they're at or even close to Nvidia. The GPUs were accounting for something like one point nine billion dollars in between professional and uh, gaming GPUs. Uh, the rest is automotive Tegra. And some other products in there that got them up to the 2.2 billion. There's just uh, kind of a lot going on. I mean, uh, we kind of look at this and we see our market uh, dropping a little bit. I mean, AMD does not have anything that really competes well. I mean, sure, the Radeon 7 is out, but it's in incredibly small numbers and nobody can really get them. Uh, their Polaris stuff is couple of years old and even though they exist nicely in a price performance envelope uh, they aren't really gaining a whole lot of share i think the area where they're actually gaining some share is in the professional space there's some areas where the uh the vegas 7 or radeon 7 as i call it and the previous vega architectures which are you know the professional graphics they're starting to eat in a little bit into what NVIDIA has there with their Quadros and their Teslas and, and these type of products because, you know, math is math. And if you can throw a whole bunch of math at a problem and if you code it well, it's going to do well. It's going to do okay. And I think the price performance of, of AMD's higher-end Vega 7 nanometer parts is probably eaten into a little bit of what NVIDIA is doing. But still, NVIDIA had a very good quarter. 
their again their 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 margins went down, but they still made money, and they still made a lot of money. And this is money that they're going to reinvest in the company and and do things a little bit differently. Maybe try to push RTX type stuff more. I don't know. Um, you know my 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 feeling here is that RTX features probably could have waited until they jumped to seven nanometer. But you know, I think they wanted to be a little bit more proactive, a little bit more aggressive, especially with AMD not doing as well as they had hoped with the original Vega, with with the Polaris series going to 14 nanometer and then, you know, jumping on to uh, seven nanometer. I mean, they just haven't, they haven't really hit their stride in terms of graphics. I mean, GCN slash Vega architecture just doesn't seem to scale up nearly as efficiently as what NVIDIA is able to do with their products. So it's going to be hard to say what uh, happens. I think NVIDIA will continue to make money. They have a good product, but there isn't a whole lot of consumer excitement in the area that that is essentially the the meat and bones of of their business, which is gaming GPUs. So, you know, they're they're a well-run company. They typically learn from their mistakes. And I'm sure that they will recover from this eventually, but... You know, they, they have opened a window for AMD, yet sadly, AMD has no no product to really take advantage of this. So in the time being, NVIDIA will still make money. They have good products. RTX is not as widely embraced as, as they would obviously hope to be, but it's still a good product. And I think that we will see some things in the next couple of weeks that may change people's mind about certain price points. But uh, until then, you know, NVIDIA's making money. They've got good margins. They've had very successful years. They're $2 billion plus a quarter, which is tremendous from where they were and where their competition is. And, uh, you know, we're going to see some interesting things in the future and hopefully in the near future. But who knows? Comments? I wish no. my quarter was that disappointing. I'd be very, very happy if that was my quarter. Do you wonder if they'll do anything to uh, try to spice up the uh, GPU landscape, maybe uh, bolster their sales a little bit? Gosh, In I, the very I wonder what the meat of those sales are. Meat. Because the 2060, while a good product is still considered somewhat overpriced for what you get and has somewhat unusable RTX features. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the RTX part there doesn't make sense unless you're running a really low, low resolution. In oh, it's DLSS. really good at 640 by 480. <laughs> DLSS, I, I, it has definitely shown that it, it needs work. They've they had a blog post that came out and addressed uh, DLSS issues. I think kind of in the in the aftermath of some of the Metro Exodus stuff that was coming out, like the preview articles. I know Tom's did one. There was some other stuff out there where they were just they were showing screenshots. And DLSS is not fair as well in screenshots as it does in in motion. The Port Royal benchmark is the one that that had been like our 
initial exposure to DLSS at CES. And but that's, you know, that's a predefined canned benchmark where they were able to train the AI and they probably, who knows how much time they spent on that behind the scenes before we saw it. And it looked great. But then these other games where you have more freedom of movement and there's a lot more variables, obviously, in a standard game, it struggles. And we saw gains drop to from 50% with Port Royal to 40% with Battlefield and then down to a, up to 30% with Metro Exodus. But then there, the image appears to be notably softer or less sharpness, that sort of thing. So they said, well, you know, there's more time. Obviously it needs to be, uh, it's like a, a training issue at this point, I guess. So we'll see. But like Josh was saying earlier, this feels like a technology that did not need to come out yet. It's interesting, but I, my own thinking is, and if they had pointed like, you know, if they hired me and I was in charge of their products, I would say, uh, stay the course with GTX, release new GTX parts that are faster, do those year-over-year gains, and stay... I mean, I, I guess I don't know where I'd be if I was actually inside of NVIDIA with pricing, but I, as a consumer and as somebody who watches this industry, I have a very hard time with the current pricing of cards, which have they've crept up over time, but 500 was about as high as I would ever want to go with a GPU. And then now we're up to $700 for what would have been last year, like the $500 card, essentially. And this is kind of where the branding problem is, if that makes any sense. Like the RTX is a brand. Like the the 2000 or the, the, yeah, the 2000 is the series. RTX is the branding, but they don't they don't append like the that uh, designation to the end of the series anymore, like they did with like the eighty eight hundred GT and GTX and Ultra. So now we have these two thousand series cards that are six ninety nine and nine ninety nine for the twenty eighty and the twenty eighty Ti, which is just it's incredible, especially when you look at what you were getting with Pascal, which is almost two years old now, or actually is two years old now. I was looking at the old like uh, GTX 2070 review the other day. That was like May of 2016. And that is a card that all the way in like January of 2019, we finally get to the point where a $350 card, the, the RTX 2060 comes out, and it eclipses the twenty, uh, the ten seventy, and basically ties the twenty, the ten seventy Ti. But it's been like a year and a half, going on two years, to get to that point. And three fifty, three fifty. I I still think it's it's pretty fair for the performance you're getting if you think of it as the the ten seventy Ti. But at the same time, I totally get the argument that it's it's too, it's just too expensive just across the board. And like Josh was saying, RTX features on the 2060 don't really make any sense. So then it's really just DLSS. And at that point, you know, the DLSS it's just, technology. It's just so weird, their stack. I mean, I understand, you know, they're spending more on bill of materials. I mean, the 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 die sizes are bloated as compared to the Pascal stuff. 
I mean, you you do get the increase in performance, and and so you know a, a twenty eighty kind of performs like a ten eighty Ti, but you still pay as much for that. I mean the the twenty seventy eclipses the ten eighty, but it you still pay as much. It's not like previously where we saw you know the the nine seventy was introduced at like a four ninety nine. And then it dropped down to, uh, you know, two ninety nine eventually, and then the ten seventy came out and it and eclipsed the performance of the nine seventy by a significant degree, but didn't break five hundred bucks. Well, initially because you know blockchain wasn't taken into nearly as account as as it was, but you know you could initially get those for not a whole lot more than a decked out 970 and you'd get a big jump in performance not so much in features but performance and you got double the memory you got you know went from a 970 with four gigs and you had a 1070 with eight gigs and you didn't have the crazy 970 memory controller thing that you know fractionalized one off and and you had a shared memory bandwidth for the last you know what two 500 meg slots i you know i can't remember all of it but it's just yeah it's it's so strange to look at how they market it and i understand from just die size and cost but still um a lot of people look at this and say there's there's no compelling reason for me to upgrade to spend $200 to get these RTX features that may or may not really improve my experience and certainly will not improve my performance right to stay with my my 1070 my 1060 and yeah I'll get 90 95% of of what I'm seeing here and you know I don't see a reason to upgrade that's you know, get me wrong. I love technology. I'd love to see it, but I'm not made of money. So I'm not going to get a 2080 Ti for 1200 bucks. It just is, that's a house payment for a lot of people and they're not going to do it. Was Pascal too good for 2016? I mean, that's a ridiculous question. I actually posed this to you earlier in the week, Josh. It's like, if, yeah, no, if I, I don't think it was, go ahead. I'm just saying, like, it, if they were sitting on something that was such a massive, if you go from the 900 series to the to the 10 series, huge gains. Like Pascal's just in another league, and especially like the 1070. The 1070 came out at 329, I believe, somewhere around there. That's just nuts for the performance you get from the 1070, which yeah, even today was- is still kind of like a benchmark for the, for, especially for that price range. I would not say that it was too good for the time. I think the focus NVIDIA, they were a little too aggressive with the LSS, the machine learning stuff, and RTX. Because if they would have taken what they learned from Pascal and applied that to the new design rules that kind of, you know, compress, but still allows good performance in, in terms of, you know, die size and whatnot, uh, and gone to the the new 12 nanometer uh, stuff, allowed it to achieve better performance. Done some of the internal things that they did with with the RTX chips in terms of just the DX11, DX12 performance, and 
and the shaders and rasterizers without going into RTX, uh, ray tracing, and machine learning, they would have had another massive leap in performance with new GDDR6 memory. But they didn't go that way. They kind of threw in the kitchen sink with RTX at a spot where they sacrificed too much die space in terms of, of performance and, 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 and thermals to really get that jump that we had been expecting from the 700 series to the 900 series to the 1000 series. And it just kind of stalled out because they added everything. I mean, seriously, kitchen sink to this GPU. And yeah, you've got a little bit better performance in terms of the regular kind of rendering stuff with DX11, DX12. But you throw RTX in there and your performance kind of goes to crap, even though you get some limited ray tracing type stuff and some interesting lighting effects with applications that actually support it, which there are two. It's not very compelling. (sighs) We could talk about this all night. Um, All night. And my harebrained ideas about them being slower to, I mean, Pascal, they, they released it and it was great and it sold incredibly well. And it's, I mean, you look at the steam hardware survey charts, like that's still a big part of like the top 10, the top 15. And for a lot of people, that's like good enough. That's the problem. Like it's like, it was like uh DVD. You went from broadcasts like standard def to HD. That was a big jump. And to, to go from HD to 4K, like there are some people who just don't see it, like, or they just don't care. It was like going from VHS to DVD. Once people saw that, they didn't care about Blu ray. I used to work in retail in electronics, and people did not care about Blu ray. And when Blu ray came out and uh, movie studios started switching over to Blu ray, there was a lot of outrage. If you look at those multi packs, like the DVD and Blu ray, those were the mm-hmm. only things I could sell people. Like, that's uh, the only way you're going to be able to get the DVD. And they would pay $30 for a like a Blu-ray DVD and digital copy set when they had bought the Blu-ray alone for like 18 because they did not care. They would not buy a $100 Blu-ray player because they well, just couldn't see Sebastian, the difference. Sebastian, early Blu-rays, though, if I, I mean, I remember watching the, um, what, the, uh, uh, the prequels on the Star Wars prequels, and the very early Blu-rays colors just popped oddly because it was so hyper realistic that it would just would look very out of place if you compared that to the DVD. I mean, yes, the resolution was far and away better, but the colors and you know the, the colors and all that just popped oddly. You know, so now it's fine. Say- I mean, 4K. I mean, it, it just, the colors looked weird. It was like, they were almost, it was almost a hyper-realistic look. It, it, you know, it, it, I, I don't remember. I mean, but that was very early uh, in the Blu-rays again. Um, I mean, 4K too, 4K, you know, 4K by itself is crap. You really need to get HDR. You can do, but again, unless you have something, you know, if you're running, if you only run 1080p, which most broadcasts are nowadays, you're not going to notice anything. You know, you have to get a good UHD movie to really see 4K with uh, HDR differences. Yeah, I, I fear that we are drifting way, <laughs> way off course. Jim, Jim, it, yeah, you're right. Way, way off. 
Uh, do we have time for any more news? We had a couple more stories here. Uh, I mean, we would be remiss if we didn't mention the biggest, the biggest news of the day as we record this on February 20, a day that will be long remembered as Samsung has finally fulfilled the dream of dozens of people. And they have announced their foldable phone. It's the dream, like, you know, back in the Microsoft courier days of the 2008 to 2010 years. And then subsequently the Microsoft Andromeda rumored dual screen folding device. But yes, Galaxy Fold available April 26th. You can Dude, actually you buy can't even thing. see the you can't even see the line in the middle. At least it's in that seamless. picture. It's seamless. Yes, it's two thousand dollars. I mean, yeah, but yeah, it's two thousand dollars. That's no, inexpensive. It's, it's, at half its price. <laughs> it's twice as much screen for three times as much money. The Galaxy Fold. And I've got to close the Verge tab here because this thing is just <laughs> destroying my browser. I mean, talk about over-engineering a website design. My God. Too you know much Neil, I know, Neil I know best, and you need to leave him alone. Uh, I don't want him to sue me. Yeah. You're gonna this this video on YouTube is actually gonna get us. That is slander, sir. You were slandering our site while showing our site. That's not fair use. That's unfair use. Get used All to right. it. Um oh, and the other sort of uh mainstream news of the week, besides the Samsung phone, uh order now available April twenty-six for just nineteen hundred and eighty dollars, is that uh Google, uh, Jeremy, you posted this. It, another sort of uh, embarrassing security-related gaffe for the masters of embarrassing security. Well, I mean, Facebook, too, but Google. What, are, what has Google done now? Well, I mean, they totally meant to tell you about the secret microphone and the Nest Secure home security system. They just innocently forgot. It, it was a complete and total oversight. Although... To be perfectly fair, every other bloody device that you order that's a Nest has a microphone in it, so maybe you should have assumed. But the way way that they did it was just brilliantly, because they just sort of sent out an an email to the the owners of the the Nest Secure saying, oh, by the way, we're going to be enabling the microphone inside of your device soon. To which everyone went, the who and the what now are you saying? And Google, of course, is like, well, oh, Trust us, we, we totally haven't turned it on and we're not recording stuff that's going on around you through that microphone. The other ones, I mean, you know, well, it's, it's okay. So it, it's, it's just a ridiculously bad way of, of rolling out a feature and disclosing that you've put something in that you didn't bother to mention and an incredibly creepy response after people were understandably upset. But, I mean, we're talking about the same bloody day that Nike shoes turned into bricks. So, I and I'm going to say it, it's the internet of shit. And you're going to have to get used to it. It is completely unsecure. It is never going to be updated. And chances are it is spying on you in ways you're not even imagining. If if you're okay with that, go out and buy it. Because even, like, the, the thing that's just 
sensors to say a window is open or closed or a door is open or closed. Well, the base station is it's it's going to be recording you. And it's probably going to be uploading it to your Samsung TV, which is then uploading it to social media and so on and so forth. But it's the converged world, so just learn to love it, I guess. I keep and we've coming, always been at war with East Asia. I, I keep coming back to this meme whenever stories like this happen. It's perfect. And for those uh, on the audio version, it's it's you've probably seen this floating around Reddit and Twitter. It's uh, a scene from the 60s that says, people in the 60s, I better not say that or the government will wiretap my house. People today, and it shows a young woman in her kitchen saying, hey, wiretap, you got a recipe for pancakes. It's so true because they don't care. I, I talk about security and privacy related issues with people that I know. And uh, I think below a certain age, they don't really understand what you're saying or don't care because the convenience of being connected and and basically having like targeted advertising and all the other stuff that you get because you're being tracked everywhere you go online that's cool like this is so oh look that thing i was just talking about with my friend i just got an ad for it on my watch like that's because it's listening to you but you know well and the, the the flip side which is going to be very entertaining and i think the next five to ten years Remember, like, Ma, don't tell people about that. It's embarrassing. Well, now they're not telling their neighbor or their friend. They, they've actually posted that to Facebook and every other social media site since you were born, you poor little prog. And by the time you hit teens, you're going to realize that everything is already out there and you can't get rid of it. So it just, you know, good luck with that kid. Have fun. This is why I recommend using Windows 3.1 and not for work groups, just offline. Never connect to the internet and just play old games. Well, Sebastian, you could probably use that online because it's so old that hackers wouldn't even have the stuff to be able to crack it anymore. They've gotten rid of all those tools years ago. I don't think it even has TCP IP. No. It may be NetBIOS only. Yeah. I don't know. When was TCP? It wasn't, uh, didn't uh, NT4 it's have? Windows for TCP? work groups, I think. Yeah. Well, at least on the consumer Three, side. 3.1? 3.1, I thought, was, or maybe 3. Was it 3.11 that was equivalent to NT4? Was, yeah, I think it was 3.11. I remember anyway, Ron, in college, I was playing with NT4. That's 25 years ago. <laughs> 25. I was in college. Wait, 20? No, I think it was... Yeah. Yeah, it's 1994. 1992 to 94 is when 3.1 for work groups. 311. Anyway, this is just... Moving along. This is just 3.1 from 92. Anyhow, uh, I think that pretty much covers i mean there's a couple of other things but we're running very long here i think so uh let's move on let's quickly cover our picks of the week and uh it looks like we all have one jim all right well actually i have two one real quick i forgot to add to the uh the show notes and that is uh something pretty cool i got an email from a reader a listener uh, named sean 
who since the summer has been indexing our podcasts at the TVDB. Uh, if you're not familiar, this is a it's a community where people track television shows and seasons and episodes. And so he went in and indexed our podcast and it's got all the episodes. So if you were to download your our podcast to Plex or any other media manager that uses the TVDB, it'll match don't, it and pull the metadata. Don't. I was there. Don't do it. Good God. No. Well, it's someone delete that for edu- <laughs> educational purposes. Um, but so thank you, Sean. That's awesome. And he says he's going to maintain it going forward. So that's great. So for the poor fools who choose to bring us into your media servers, uh, you'll have some metadata for it at least. And then my second Thanks. pick um, is a podcast that I've been listening to for years. And I realized I never really talked about it in this context with you guys. So I'm not sure if this audience knows about it, but it's the uh, HGTV and home theater podcast. It's a casual podcast. These guys aren't like hardcore experts. They're like enthusiasts and they've been doing it for 15 years or something. They're like on episode 883. It's a once a week show and they're 883 episodes episodes in. And it's a weekly rundown of the news, the you know, developments in home theater tech, audio codecs, uh, new TV formats, streaming. And it's a nice casual 30 to 40 minute show each week. And uh, the the hosts are and Braden are just good guys. So if you're looking for like a nice casual podcast to get you a little bit of your home theater fix, uh, check it out on iTunes. It's the HD TV and home theater podcast. Who's next? Is it uh, Jeremy? Sure, why not? Hey, so you, you got a kid in the house, or you're just, you know, sort of clumsy yourself. And so you, you go through a fair number of mice, keyboards, and headsets. Well, there's a great deal uh, on the Canadian Newegg site right now, the Gamma DS Poseidon M1 combo, which after the mail-in rebate is 20 bucks. And so you get a mouse, you get a headset, and you get a keyboard that, will survive a couple of moderate spills. So instead of handing your kids hand-me-downs or just, you know, here's the keyboard I know you're just about to kill dead, this is actually going to last a little bit. And at 20 bucks, it, it's just a stupidly easy buy. It's not going to be the best, but it's got the RGBs. It's It's got the uh, sexy headset. Or, I'm sorry, it's called the Eros. Um, <laughs> as I said, the keyboard is designed to take a couple of spills before it finally dies. It, it, it's worth it if you've got a relative, if you've got kids, or like you say, if if you just sometimes spill your beer. So there. It, it reminds me of, uh, I think it was last week, LGR's video was about this like kid-friendly keyboard from the mid-1990s, and he was like smearing peanut butter on it and dumping milk on it while he was playing Duke Nukem 3D. And it didn't quit working because it was basically just one of those like strips, like those uh, roll-out flat keyboards, membrane keyboards, but it was like attached to a plastic base. But those things are dreadful to type on, but that seems like... It's like the answer. I would not give my son a keyboard right now. He is very excited by uh, any kind of RGB lighting on keyboards, though, I will say. And he goes up to does, whatever does he I'm like, using. Does he like painter's tape on keyboards? 
that's an inside joke, everyone. It, it refers yeah. to uh, you know my inventive, my creative uh, methods of repairing toys, which for you know various reasons ended up in blue painters tape with a Starship Enterprise. Whatever happened to the equivalent of that plastic wrap on couches that you used to get for keyboards? That was just oh so yeah, was it Fellows who sold all that stuff? Oh yeah, like the the monitor one, and there was one for your keyboard, and there was one for your tower, which makes a lot of sense. Like you want to, you know, just turn off Air your Pentium Four mm-hmm. and just you know shove this thing down over it, in nice and airtight. It'll melt a hole where it needs. True, that's true. That's Do you guys remember when a non-tech wrapped their test systems in saran wrap to stop airflow no why would they do this for testing it, okay it seemed like a good idea at the time <laughs> but then well, people didn't test. realize that airflow is there for a reason because you put power into it heat is going to accumulate so anyway yeah it was well, that was, was a dumb idea pulling the heat sink off of cpus to see if they got fire or not yes yeah anyway i guess it's me unless jeremy did you not you you did, you talk. it's you josh yep no reveal yourself josh Quit stalling josh it's you it's you <sighs> Oh, it's proving he still has. I gotta change the rating on the stream. Hang on. Okay. Anyway, um, <laughs> you know, I've I've got the higher end gaming version of this monitor, but if you don't want to pay that much and still get, I think, uh, seventy five hertz, uh, if you're attached to Display Port, this is a nice monitor for a good price. Six hundred bucks, thirty four inch, twenty one by nine, nineteen hundred R curve. I've really enjoyed this uh, in in the Alienware version. Uh, pretty much same panel. It's fantastic. If you want widescreen, if you want to do racing, if you want to do sim games, anything, it's a really nice deal for a really good looking monitor. So there you have it. Six hundred bucks, still a lot, but do your shopping. But it's nice. That's almost three feet wide, isn't it? That's uh it's very um, wide. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So uh, the name of your that? pick really, really worries me. <laughs> what? Panda power? Yeah. This is, um <laughs> I, I was not expecting this. Uh I actually had forgotten uh that they sent stuff, but uh Choey Tech. They're a brand on Amazon that I'd actually bought, I think I bought USB type C cables from them. And didn't really think anything of it. The company reached out to me a while back now and asked about like reviewing some of their stuff. And I'm like, oh, okay. I kind of looked over their product catalog. And one of the things was like, oh, hey, you sell like a really inexpensive charging pad, a wireless charging pad. I should see if it's any good. So it's been sitting here for a while. Finally took it out of the packaging like two days ago and plugged it in and threw my phone down on it. Works fine. Uh, Seven and a half watt fast charging wireless pad and on amazon if you look these up they start i think this is pretty much at the lowest price point this the particular one that they sent was 15 dollars. seems completely fine doesn't come with an adapter or anything you still have to supply your own usb power to the wall 
But if you plug your phone charger into this, then throw your phone down on it, charges reasonably fast. Like this is kind of like the same as plugging into like a USB port in your computer. It's not crazy fast. And I think most phones now, most higher end phones have fast charging, uh, like Qualcomm quick charge or obviously this would not work with like iPhones fast charging. Cause it's like, you have to use Apple's adapter and Apple's cable, but anyhow, for a, for a cheap, uh, wireless charging pad that just uses the standard wireless charging, like the Qi charging standard. This gets the job done and it's $15. And the one I have has a Panda on it. So, I mean, if you're into pandas, there's a non-Panda version I see on Amazon as well. It's $20. So, I mean, obviously go with the Panda. That's all I got. Maury, did you have a pick? I did. Uh, So, when uh, USB 3.1 for or yeah, when USB 3.1 first came out, the challenge I had was, especially with the motherboard reviews, was finding some kind of enclosure adapter that would perform better than USB 3.0. Because if you're testing 3.1, you can't max out or you can't get faster than um, you know 500 megabyte per second or a gig per second. You know you're not really you're not really able to show. How you know how uh, how well it performs? Um, the enclosure that uh, that uh, Jim should be showing you the um, um, the my digital SSD M M two X uh, actually takes a uh, NVMe NVMe M dot two drive and uh, will you know uh, allows you to use it over uh, USB three dot one either uh, Type C or type a port or a uh, USB 3.0 or even USB 2.0. If you choose to, um, it only works or well, actually uh, it will take it. It will take uh, the, the problem with uh, the, the early adapters that came out because I've tried many, many, many different closures. And this is the only one I found that really works previously. They only, they had enclosures like this, but they were only compatible with uh, PCIe X2 cards, the uh, X2 M.2 cards. If you put an X4 in there, it wouldn't work because you know have the B key and the M key. Um, this one is actually an uh, an M key type design, so it will work with a uh, PCIe X4 M.2 drive. Uh, it works really well. Um, I have not had. I've, I've started using it past couple motherboard reviews. Have no issues with it. It comes with both a, as I said, a uh, Type. C cable and a Type A cable, so, um, you know, uh, and yeah, and just works really well. It's and it's nice if you have a, uh, you know, if you have, if you up, upgrade your computer every once in a while, um, you have spare NVMe uh, M.2 drives. You can use this and have an easy, very fast, portable solution. So nice. They and really missed out. This could have been the first thing that could have used a sex port. It could have been a SATA export. A sex port? Oh, SATA export. Yeah, I know. <laughs> the first and only <laughs> peripheral. <laughs> hey, it's a valid standard. So, you know, like uh, U.2. Look at all the U.2 products that are out there. So glad it's yeah, a feature we, of high still haven't boards. found what they're looking for. Yeah. All right. Well, everyone, thank you for watching. Or listening to us. We do this every week. Like I said at the top, that was like two hours ago. We've been podcasting for a very long time. It is almost midnight here in the Eastern time zone. And uh, I should probably go to bed. But 
you can catch us uh you know at pcper.com you can follow us on twitter if you'd like uh obviously at josh d walrath if you want uh burger updates every wednesday uh, what kind of burger did you have today by the way josh you muted again ah he had the muted heroes burger I had the Greek burger. It was a uh, half lamb, half beef burger with uh, tzatziki sauce, red onions, tomatoes, shibata bun. It's really good. Was there any nice. feta on it? Mm. Any olives? No, not that kind of no? Greek. So this is this is more like a, almost like a what is it? A hero? No, the, it, the it's a hero kind of in Greek. a burger. Yeah, hero burger. Okay, well, good stuff. Uh, I will say uh, for for everyone, Josh wants to do a mailbag. Uh, so because we haven't done those since the, we need to come up with a name for the Exodus, the events that transpired at the end of the year last year. The uh, we can just call it like the well, the, like a, it was a different dynasty. It was the uh, bunch of Nancy Reagans. <laughs> Ryan, let's just say we, we era, changed the Shroud Dynasty. The Shroud Dynasty has ended. Uh, the end of the Shroud Dynasty. We we just haven't gotten around to doing the mailbags because we've been just trying to get new things going. But we want to get that back up. Josh wants to do one next week. So if you have questions for just, Josh, I'm sorry. Maybe we can just say it's now Istanbul, not Constantinople. Perhaps. <laughs> I think there's additional meaning to that that I don't want to be associated with. <laughs> but but if you have questions for Josh, send him a tweet, send the tweet to PC Per, uh, hop in our Discord server. The link is, uh, I'll put it in the show notes to this episode. It's, it's in our chat as well. Uh, get the questions to us, email, whatever, and we'll have Josh get those for you next Friday. I can do that. I just have to say, uh, North Ranger in the chat, the excommunication. That's, yeah. what it, that's what it was. Now, if so only the, Anthony can do, if he can do a, a Photoshop of that, that would be fantastic. Yes. And we can finally see you in your nun, nun's outfit. Yes, I need no. to see Josh as a nun. This, this no. needs to happen. It would be so easy. Okay, maybe if he could do the flying nun, sure. But Oh, for no. sure. Okay. Yeah, okay, Josh is a flying nun. I mean, Sally Field's pretty hot. For, oh yeah. yeah well she was yeah yeah she is come on man yeah <laughs> if you're into that oh, don't, no don't dig a deep uh, yeah no judgment zone anyway. this is a judgment free podcast Josh yeah we do that on Twitter someone said Josh Wick oh I get I it John Wick I don't think you can move that fast I don't think Keanu can move that fast. It's all trick yeah. photography. Josh would be Josh would be uh, I would, keyboards instead of shooting. I would I would I would I would mess people up if they messed with my dog. Yeah, that's understandable. Yeah. yeah. So did I? Did I? Are sign we done? Out? Did you actually? We haven't. We haven't officially wrapped it. Yeah. Oh, right. for the love of God. <laughs> thanks for watching or listening or i could also say 
See you next week. Or just goodbye. <laughs>